Blog Talk Radio. Brown skin, you know I love your brown skin. I can't tell where yours begins. I can't tell where mine is. Brown skin, up against my brown
guys. Thank you. Thank you all for joining the call tonight. Wow, we have a show lined up that I am truly, truly, truly excited to share with you guys and really talk about a discussion that's really, really needed, although oftentimes we fail to do or talk about the subject um, with many people. So I see quite a few people that's on the line. I appreciate you guys joining um, the music you just heard is India Ari, Brown Skin, and I felt like that was the most appropriate song to play um, tonight um, for the entrance of the show. Uh, you know, we, we're going to talk about Skin Deep, okay? Um, and really the whole Skin Deep uh, thought comes from the challenges that, you know, people of color um, face in today's society, you know, and really, it's kind of, it's not, I guess it's appropriate um, for discussion, you know, in consideration of um, Nelson Mandela, who, who passed away tonight. So I do want to pay homage to him and, and recognize um, him for just a, a few seconds. He was such a great man, um, definitely a leader in the field of, you know, just really trying to bring equality um, for everyone across the board throughout the world. He was in Africa, but, you know, everyone I'm sure on the call tonight knows who Nelson Mandela is, so it's it's only right that we, we acknowledge him tonight. Um, so what is skin deep? Why, does, why is it still a problem? Why are we still having to deal with racism? Um, what I mean, why does it matter if you're light skin or you're dark skin? Um, why do dark skin girls not necessarily like light skin girls or light skin girls not like dark skin girls? You know, it's just it's a topic that's needed to be discussed, actually. So I'm um, going to go ahead and bring on the guest of the hour. Her name is Vasavi Kumar, and just to give you a little bit of background about um, Vasavi. She's been working for years to change the conversation people around her have with themselves. Um, she's a certified life coach, um, transformational speaker, and business-savvy entrepreneur. She runs her business with a combination of direct, down-to-earth insight and genuine passions for her clients. Um, basically, she says that she talks the talk and she walks the walk as well, so she does both. Um, Everything that she has um, ever suggested to her clients, she's done herself. Um, she thinks that ultimately that what, what's different with her is that her vision is really, really big, and she wants pretty much the same thing for her clients. Um, she holds a dual master's in special education from Hofstra University and um, social work from Columbia University and was mentored by an award-winning um, author by the name of Lisa Nichols. Um, in her capacities, um, she works as a radio host, author, coach, speaker. Um, I've spoken to her several times, and actually I found out about Vasifi um, in watching Basketball Wives, and I reached out to her and we connected, and we've kind of been just going back and forth since then. And I find it to be just, you know, really, really insightful. Um, she has a wealth of knowledge and inspiration to bring to the call tonight. So I am going to go ahead and bring Miss Vasavi on. Vasavi, if you can press one. Let's see here. I'm here. Hello, Vasavi. Okay. I'm here. I got you, girl. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Just staying warm. It's a little cold right now, but other than that, I'm good. 
Yeah, where are you located? Well, yeah, I'm originally from New York, but I live in Kansas City, and my husband and I were actually moving to Austin in less than two weeks, so I'm excited. Oh, wow. Get out of the You should yeah. be. So you'll get out the cold and get a chance to warm up a little bit, huh? Yes, that's the point. I'm excited. I'm going to start <laughs> starting my next adventure, which is uh, vegetarian culinary school, so I'm excited for that. Awesome. Well, congratulations, Vasavi. Um, I, I really do appreciate you joining us tonight to talk about this discussion. Um, skin deep. And um, do you want to go ahead and kind of tell the listeners, you know, um, some of your background in terms of um, your your ethnicity and, and things of that nature for now? Yeah, absolutely. So I was raised um, on Long Island, New York. Uh, my parents are Indian immigrants. They came here in the 70s. And I grew up in a predominantly white town. I think our family was one of maybe two or three Indian families. And I, I've heard it all, Veranda. Like, I've heard the, your parents, do they own a 7-Eleven? Does your, you know, why does your mom wear a big fat red dot on her forehead? Why do you smell like curry? You're brown, you're ugly, you're hairy. What does Vasavi mean? What kind of name is that? You know, so I was made, uh, I was very aware from a very young age that I was different. So I grew up be always feeling different, never feeling like I belonged, but yet I always still felt a feeling of oneness. It was weird. Like I, I always knew that even when I went to school and I was different than everybody else, I was still very connected to my higher self, my higher power. So it was a, it was a beautiful balance. And I think that's what a lot of us experience is we feel different, but when we're connected to our higher self, what we realize is there is no separation, that we are all one. But unfortunately, you know, when you're growing up and you're living in an ignorant society, you are, and you are you know, you do maybe look different or sound different or your name is different, you're bound to have to face that, you know, face the ignorance of other people. And, you know, people just don't know any better. Uh, we are a product of our environment, but it is also up to us to educate ourselves. You know, it is a choice how we choose to be. Absolutely, and that's really why I wanted to have this discussion because I feel like it's just a situation um, that's very obvious, but it's silent. You know, people have their thoughts and feelings and experiences regarding skin color and don't want to really talk about it, you know, with anyone outside of their, you know, immediate family members or friends. They're really, really close friends. Um, but I just feel like it's something that's really needed, to, a discussion that's needed to be had, you know. So, you know, yeah. you were saying that you've been stereotyped, you know, just because of your background and um, really you've found a way to rise beyond what people have said about you. Like what steps, what, what happened that made, to make you actually, you know, go in a different direction to not let what people were saying about you affect you? Well, I have to be honest that for a while I did let it affect me, right? So feeling different, feeling the pain of being different and not actually having that experience of belonging with my peers, you know, I tried everything to kind of numb and medicate that feeling. You know, I ventured down the path of drugs, of alcohol, men, work, food, uh, eventually just to come back home to myself and remembering who I am, that I am perfect, whole, and complete as I am. But I think, you know, I had to go down that journey to get to where I am today. But I would say the steps that I took is really spending a lot of time in reflection and introspection. And now standing before you today as a 31-year-old proud Indian woman, as somebody who is very proud of the culture that I was raised in, very proud of the fact that, and very, not even proud, but very confident in who I am, regardless of what I've been told. See, the, the fact of the matter is, you can let what people's 
what people have to say to you or what people have said to you, you can let that be your obstacle or you can let that be your fuel. For a while, I let that be my obstacle. And, um, you know, as I think it's Maya Angela who says that when you know better, you do better. And so when I finally started to realize who I was and I got to that place from really spending a lot of time with myself and really kind of going deep and in and spending a lot of time in silence and stillness, what I realized was I am no different than anybody else, and no matter what anybody says to me, the only person that can define who I am is me. Um, but it took me 31 years to get here. So I just I want to I wanna say that, that's, that, that it is a process. It is, and, and, and it's also a commitment, right, because I think a lot of people hold on to what happened in their past. And they use that as a reason as, they, why they, as, as to why they can't move forward. If I wanted to, Rhonda, I could have totally done that. I could have totally used that as an excuse to not move forward, to not, you know, to not make stuff happen, to not take action. I could have, because it was such a sexy obstacle, right? It was such a sexy reason for me not to move forward. I could have, I could, I could have totally played the victim and allowed that to stop me from moving forward, but I knew better. And it took me a while to actually know better. And I don't regret the journey that I've been on, but I think you have to be willing to, in spite of what you've been told, in spite of whatever obstacle you have faced, to be willing to do the work and to rise above that. And I just, I want to say a quote, just because, you know, today is the passing of Nelson Mandela. He did say that everyone can rise above their circumstances and achieve success if they're dedicated to and passionate about what they do. And so for me, I'm crystal clear that what I'm meant to do is to help people move forward. It's to not let their past dictate their future. But in order for me to do that, and in order for me to help other people rise up, I have to rise up myself. Absolutely. That's absolutely correct. And, and you hinted on it um, and just being confident in who you are. I think it starts there, um, you know, in the process of, you know, just being a little girl and then you grow into teenage years and then you become a woman. Um, we learn confidence. And who we are through the experience that we encounter during those years. It's really helpful when we have parents at home that, you know, really instill in us um, that you're beautiful so that, you know, when you go out in society, it doesn't matter what people say to you, you know. Yeah. You don't let that affect you, and I think that has a, a lot to do with it. So it really it, it starts at home, um, and then after a while, if, you, if it really succumbs you, then you have to take the initiative to really – um, do the work, stay with it, and, and really get to know who you are. So in the end, you're, co- you're just a confident person. And I think that's really what it's about, um, moving beyond, you know, what people think, you know, despite your, your skin color, your background, where you come from, your family, any of those things. You really just have to be confident in what you're here for, what you, what you look like, um, just, just, being, just knowing who you are. And it is a process. It takes time. It takes years to really get there. You said you're 31. I think you, you have done an awesome job um, in the years that, you know, you've been here and, and the things that you've done. I commend you on those things. And um, me being a 34-year-old woman and really just stepping into this new season, these new things that's happening in my life right now, um, what's at the, the core of everything I'm doing is the confidence that I have in myself, you know, um, not yeah. really worrying about, you know, what people say and, and people, you know, looking at me any kind of way. I really don't care, honestly, what people think about me. Um, and mm-hmm. what matters the most is that I get my message out there. You know, I get out whatever it is that God wants me to do. So um, how were you really, you know, well, let me ask you this. Tell me, like, one of the most challenging things that you've heard um, I guess I could say really the most racist things you've heard um, growing up. 
Oh, my God. Um, where do I begin? I would say that, I mean, I would, I'm from everything from, you know, dear, I mean, and it sounds so silly, but it stung. Uh, so stuff like, yeah. you know, you pray to elephant gods or you pray to, you know, why do you have so many gods? You know, we're Hindu, so we have a lot of idols, but we don't worship the idol, we worship what it represents, you know, and like, why, why do you have gods with eight arms, why do you have elephant, elephants, or, you know, Indian people smell, they smell like B.O., and, you know, I think sometimes Indian people do smell like B.O., but you know what, I know, I, I know other types of people that smell like B.O. too, so why, why do you have to put us in a box, you know what I mean, or, you know, exactly. um, your, your mom with her big fat red dot on her forehead, or you're ugly, you're hairy, you have sideburns like Elvis, um, you smell, nobody, it's, Nobody wants to kiss you because you're ugly. I mean, the boys would say such mean things. I mean, I would be sitting next to this one oh boy, God. Kevin, and I remember him saying to me, I would never kiss you because you are so brown. In fact, the first hint of racism that I ever experienced was in kindergarten when this boy, Greg, said to me, I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party because you're brown. That was the first time wow. I ever experienced it, and that's when I was in kindergarten. That is probably the first experience and the one that uh, – Sticks out the most for me. Mhm. I can, and I yeah. can definitely understand that. So, did you take that back to your parents um, and let them know what you were yeah, hearing and, and you know what you were yep. facing at school? And my parents always raised me with this way, kind of like the Gandhi philosophy, you know. And my and my my parents always said, you know, anybody who's unkind or anybody who is mean, they are in pain and they don't know any better. Mm-hmm. And I just always mm-hmm. remember that because I always look at the source. And even to this day, when I get mean emails, so quote unquote mean emails, or I get people who say nasty things about me, I always ask myself, I always consider the source. And I always put myself in yeah. other people's shoes. And I said, well, you know what? If I lived your life and I was raised by your parents and I went and had your experience, would I be saying that? And I probably would. And that's what helps me have understanding and compassion for other people always is that, you know what? Thank God I w- I'm not in your shoes. Thank God I was raised by my parents. Thank God I've gone through what I've gone through. Thank God I've been blessed with the heart and mind that I have because I would never say that to you. However, could I at least for a split second put myself in your shoes and see, wow, if I, was on your, if I had the same trajectory that you were on, would I be that way? And, yes, the truth is I would. But I cannot Absolutely. get mad at somebody. Yeah. I can't get mad or upset or even take it personally from somebody else because everybody has their path to walk, and we, are, we will behave according to the thoughts in our mind, right? And so Absolutely. all I can do is, is have understanding. You know, it does hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I am very aware of the fact that I'm a brown-skinned woman, and my name is Vasavi, yeah. and I sometimes bust out with an Indian accent. It happens. I sometimes talk in an Indian accent. It just happens. I don't know where it comes out of. I am very aware of the fact that I look different. That I, I mean, for God's sakes, I live in the Midwest. Right, I live in Wonder Bread land, and I was very well made aware of when I moved here how different I was. And that's part of the fear that I had moving here. It's like, oh, my God, there's no diversity. This is not representative of the world. Like, you know, this is not, this is not real, you know. But it's like I had to really come to terms with a lot of my fears after moving to Kansas. And I'm happy to say I am no longer afraid of white people. I am. I was, I was very <laughs> terrified because all my insecurities came up. All my childhood issues came up. And I'd be speaking to groups. I, I spoke to the Junior League. If you know anything about the Junior League, it is a predominantly yeah. 
white organization. And I remember speaking to 90 of them within the first year of me moving here and thinking to myself, what the heck am I doing here? They are eating me up alive. But nobody was eating me up alive. That was my own fear. In fact, after I spoke, everybody came up to me and they said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And that's when I realized my growth and the work that I had to do was to honor their spirit and realize that it was my problem to deal with, nobody else's. Absolutely, absolutely. I like what you were saying about basically hurt people hurt people. Yep, yep. So when somebody is in pain, they will they will cause and inflict pain upon other people as well. And, you know, I think that the experiences that we have are obviously, you know, meant to make us stronger. Um, the area that I live in right now is predominantly white. And, you know, when I moved from the Charlotte area to the Raleigh area, and although it's not very, very, you know, far apart, still it's a a very different culture um, here than it is in Charlotte. So it's a lot of – it's more whites than it is blacks. There's not a lot of um, diversity here. And so I had to make up in my mind, okay, do I want to stay here, you know, and make a difference and and, and face – people face-to-face, look them dead in their eyes and be, you know, bold and courageous and confident in who I am, or do I want to go back to Charlotte, my comfort zone? And um, ultimately, I decided I'm going to stay here and I'm going to make a difference because if I run from this situation, then when are, you know, people going to really begin to realize that brown-skinned black women, African-American women, African women, any woman of um, a different race other than being Caucasian, that you can make a difference, that you do have a voice, that you are intelligent, that you can articulate your thoughts, you know, properly, that there is something that you have to share um, to other people, with other people. Um, just the other day, my husband and I, we had a plumber to come to come into the home um, who actually was, you know, a white man and he did what he had to do here, but it, the conversation ended up being like an hour-long conversation with this man. He ended; He's maybe, I guess, 35 years old, um, and he characteristics and things that he was saying, he alluded to the fact that he may have been what people would classify as being, you know, essentially a redneck. So he would go out and shoot deer and drink whiskey and, you know, him and his brothers fought and, you know, whatever, and that's kind of taboo for him to be in my house and us having a conversation that ended up actually being about God. And I think from that, he took away from it that, okay, I can't, I can't put every black person in a box. I can't say that the, uh, because you're black, you're uneducated. I can't say because you're black, you should live in a trailer. Or I can't say because you're black, you, you have absolutely nothing to offer to the world. Like, and, and just that conversation just meant so much to me on so many different levels because it's one, you have to reach one person at a time. So had I left this area, then that conversation and that impact would have never existed with that guy. I'm sure he may have encounters like that periodically, but the intensity of that conversation that we had, um, my husband and I and him, was just so, so deep. So you can't run from the things that people say about you. And a lot of times, like you said, a lot of it is just really what we think in our minds. It's not even real. Um, and, and you alluded to that when you said you gave your speech and people came up to you and was actually commending you on what substance of a speech you had to bring, you know. So, Vasavi, um, after reflecting was- on no, I was, I was just going to say one thing, Veranda. What I realized was is that by me shutting myself down or by me not being – by me living in fear against white people, I'm doing the same exact thing. 
right? It's just reverse. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. right? You know, it's it's one thing if it was if it happened to me. It's another thing if I allow it to perpetuate. See, that's my stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. So somebody has to rise above it. And I, I mean, you better believe it was going to be me because I didn't want to live a life of fear. And I don't like to live a life of fear because it doesn't get you anywhere except more fear. And so I just want to say that to your listeners that if you're, you've been in this situation, and I'm sure most of, a lot of them have, you have a choice. Do you want that to perpetuate or how are you going to be a better person? How are you going to rise above that? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, how are you going to rise above it? And then, too, a lot of times people – become informed about something and feel inspired by something someone says, but they don't share that knowledge with anyone else or they don't take Mm -hmm. action to really implement what has inspired them. So it's really moving beyond just a thought process to putting it in place. So taking the knowledge that's been shared with you and sharing it with other people, um, taking it back home and implementing that with your kids or taking it to work and being that voice that needs to be heard to break down the barriers that's either psychologically in our own minds or really reality for um, many people, um, be it at work, home, wherever the case may be. We deal with racism pretty much in every area of our lives, you know. Um, so what I think it really comes down to is just really getting to know who you are. Like you said, you went through all those things, but at the end of the day, you ended up coming back to the core of Vasavi Kumar. You came back to yourself, and that's where you have to be at home with yourself. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, if I were to allow the chatter, external sources, what, what people, you know, other people who have maybe had bad experiences, if I were to let all those external outside sources influence me, I would have actually been influenced because we're very impressionable. So that's why, you know, I had to sit and ask myself. That's what my whole message is about is that you are the source of your success and that whatever you are seeking is inside of you. It is not outside of you at all. So if I'm seeking peace and if I'm seeking connection and if I'm seeking oneness, then I need to have that with myself first before I can even give that to another human being. That's absolutely correct. That is so, so right on point. You cannot give what you don't have yourself. You just, I mean, you, you can't you can, do it in any capacity. <laughs> yeah, you you can't. You can do it a little bit, but it will. You won't expand your range. You won't. You won't be able to expand your capacity. You, you expand your capacity when you practice it yourself. Exactly. So, you know, it's it's, it's definitely a needed conversation, and um, I was inspired to take it here, although it's the month of Christmas and everyone is, you know, in holiday mode um, after watching Oprah and just seeing the conversation that she had with her her guest and um, just how people were really just almost in tears about their experiences in terms of racism, um, the dark skin versus light skin, you know, whole thing. Um, have you ever had, like, any encounters with any, any direct encounters with any white women that kind of rubbed you or lighter-skinned women um, that rubbed you the wrong way? Um, yeah, I think it was more so when I was younger, but I have a – I love women, okay? And when I say that, I look at all women, regardless of skin color, as myself. I mean, I see a woman, I see myself, no doubt. It doesn't matter what color you are. Um, I connect sooner, quicker, faster with women of color. Um, It just happens very naturally. But I think the one experience that I have that maybe it actually happened um, recently was, you know, I was – 
decluttering a lot of my clothes and stuff like that because we're, you know, we're getting ready to move. And so I brought it to a store that actually buys back her clothes. I always give my clothes to Goodwill, but I was like, you know what, let me, let me try to get, I have some like nice brand name stuff that I don't wear. And then this one woman, the woman who was kind of checking my clothes to see if it was in good condition, she said to me, she goes, oh, you're Indian, so no wonder this smells like curry. And I was just like, oh. I just looked at her. I just looked at her, and I was like, you know what? I, I couldn't believe it, and I was like, oh, okay. So I, I, I didn't know what to say. I did not know. I, mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted to say. I knew what I wanted to say, which I will not say here, but I also knew I didn't want to go there because once I go there, I don't think, I don't think she'd be able to handle it. Right. So yeah, she's not ready. Want, yeah, she wasn't ready. I didn't want to go there. I've worked too hard to become who I am, and I didn't want to. I didn't yeah. want to take take ten steps back, being that person, because yeah. I can be that person if I want to be. You know what I mean? And I didn't yeah. want to go there. So you know, I just kind of looked at her and I said, Yeah, you know, we. I, I love to cook with curry, and sometimes I don't close all my doors, so the uh, so the curry smell gets inside. <laughs> That's all I said. I brushed it off. I don't ever want to let anybody know that they've affected me. Like, nope, I'm, I'm too strong for that, and you, I will not let you see that you've affected me at all. And for me, it's a great practice because I got to really step back in that moment and be an observer and be like, wow, how emotionally unintelligent you must be to be saying that to me right now to my face. But you know what? She didn't know any better. You know, she did not know any better. You know, and so I asked myself, if I was a Midwesterner and if I was born and raised here and if I had never stepped foot outside of the state, let alone the country, would I be saying that? Absolutely. And that's what I said. Yep. And, and yep. that's how I get through it because I always put myself in the other person's shoes. I love to give people the benefit of the doubt. I really do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're that's just exactly stupid. Fair. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, so, so sometimes you, you just got to, like, you know, educate yourself. People ask me questions all the time about my about Hinduism and this and that, and I'm just like, you know, I don't, I never mind answering people's questions about my culture and my faith and, you know, we're Hindu, but um, I also believe in this day and age, if you don't know something, Google it mm-hmm. because there is no reason why it's you need so to easy. walk around with ignorance. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy. Exactly. And, and, and if you don't, it's just sheer laziness or you don't really care that much, you know? Exactly. That's exactly correct. And it's, it's, I mean, things are at your fingertips and it's really a matter of you being ready to address whatever the issue is and, and take control of it. I really like the fact that you brought it and highlighted that, you know, you really should not let people, what I like to say, see you with your cards faced up, you know, and, and not, you know, let people rub you the wrong way or not let people take you back, you know, 10 years from of, of growth that you've accomplished. Um, be in control of yourself really is what it's all well, about. Every, I know every moment, every moment is a learning opportunity and a growing opportunity, right? So I look at everything. Every If I'm triggered by something, I have one of two choices. I can respond exactly in the same way that I've, I've just received, or I can come from a higher place. I can come from a higher road, a more spiritual perspective. And I, I think the other thing is really looking at um, it's not necessarily about, oh, I don't want to be vulnerable with you because I am very vulnerable with people that I trust, okay? Um, and, 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 you know, when I'm speaking on stage, I share a lot of my stuff with people. But for me, it's, it's more about I don't want to give my power away to you. I hold my power. Exactly. You can't take that away from me. So I love it. I love it. I, I really I think we could go on and on talking about this, um, but I know you have some other obligations um, yes. What? How can how can my listeners, if they want to get in contact with you, how can they reach out to you? 
Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, they, can to- they can just go over to my website at vasavikumar.com. I love to play, socialize, and engage on my Facebook, which is just search for Vasavi Kumar is my fan page, and I'm on Twitter at Ask Vasavi. But, yeah, vasavikumar.com will give you everything you need, everything you need. Awesome. Any last insights you want to say? You've said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sure they've gotten quite a bit from it. Um, from just a brown girl perspective, um, any last uh, in, insights you want to give? Yeah, I think the, the way that I want to leave this, Rhonda, is, you know, stuff happens. Life happens. Mm-hmm. People say mm-hmm. things out of ignorance, um, and they don't know any better, and sometimes they do know better, and they still say it, and it is up to you how you want to respond and whether or not you're going to let that dictate your life. Ultimately, you can either be the passenger in your life or you can be in the driver's seat. That's it. And so you get to choose. In every single moment, you get to choose. So what do you choose? Love it. Love it. Yes. Philosophy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'll be in contact with you. I'm going to post um, your contact information on um, Facebook as well so people can reach out to your, your fan page and your website um, and know how to get in contact with you. I really do appreciate it. But um, you have a good night and enjoy your, your next meeting. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rhonda. Thanks for having me on. All righty. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. So we are going to go ahead and play. um, I think I'm going to play something that's a little spicy here. Let's see. Sit back and enjoy. She definitely had some really good insights and a different perspective to look at things um, to share with everyone on the call. And, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to be on with me um, tonight. 
But, you know, as an African-American woman and and being in, you know, the everyday society, uh, hearing, you know, people say comments about, you know, light skin versus dark skin and um, my eye color is, is very noticed by so many people. Um, and then, too, just hearing people talk about how they're just uncomfortable with being dark skin. Like, where does all of this come from? So what I did today was I went on a quest of really just trying to um, dig a little bit deeper into this. And I went and I I Googled um, the William Lynch letter. And I know many of you probably have, if you haven't read it, have at least heard of it. And um, really what William Lynch did was he attempted to break down the mindset of the black community. So his attempt was to make the the black man weaker in terms of his mentality and the black woman stronger in her mentality so that she essentially did not need the black man. Um, and, 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 you know, just really looking at it from that standpoint, we can see how that's really prevalent today in our world. It still exists. And even in his letter, he said this, he wrote this letter back in 1712. He said, what I am, this declaration that I, actually it was a program is what he called it. This program that I'm, I'm giving to you um, in Williamsburg, Virginia, will continue if you implement this for at least 300 years, okay? So if that was 1712, uh, 300 years to that is what 2012 yeah so it still exists till this point so I really wanted to talk about this um, to look at it from a different angle um, and really take it and I got some other things that I'm going to be doing with this because it just is really just kind of moving me um, to do it but um, really look at it from a different angle and talk about how is it that you know we have allowed this to happen for all these years. When I looked and read the William Lynch letter, he compared what he called the nigger to um, a horse. So he broke down the horse as well as he broke down the black man. Um, And he did it. Actually, he said in his letter that he wanted to have a black man tied up um, with his arms around a horse, a horse's leg, and then his legs attached to another horse. And so the black man is stretched out, and then the horse would be beaten to the point to where this man was pulled apart, and he made sure to say that this must be done in front of the women, the black women, so that they would see their strong man broken down. So, guys, this is real. This is real, and you see it today. The black woman is so, oh, I'm independent. I don't need a man type of thing. And, you know, the black man struggles with even finding his place, and then we wonder why is he walking around here cheating and can't be faithful and, 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 and you know, not giving us what we need. It's because the placement of the black man does not really exist. And um, really what it said to me, too, is if William Lynch is right in this letter, then the opposite of what he's saying had to exist during that time in order for his program, quote-unquote, to be effective. So if he his program was written from a standpoint of breaking the black man down, then that said to me during the years of 1700, the black man stood very strong, very strong. So, 
what I really would like for us to do is take this conversation and have it with people. Don't just share it with your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your cousins, your best friend. No, have this conversation with other people. I'm going to do that. I'm committed to doing that. And most of you guys know if I say I'm going to do something nine times out of ten, it's going to get done. I'm going to take this conversation and have it with other people because what the William Litch letter, and I haven't, I haven't heard anyone really look at it from – the perspective um, on, on the opposite side of what he was saying um, in comparison to what was in the letter. So, you know, it really dawned on me today that if this man is writing this letter, then the opposite of what is written here had to exist. So what does that say to me? That says to me that our black men were strong. The, the black family was strong. The black men knew their place in that family. The black women respected that man as being the man of the house. He was strong not only in a physical capacity, but he was strong, most importantly, in a psychologically, mentally, and emotional capacity. Guys, isn't that what we need? Doesn't the battlefield generally start with our mind? Yet the William Lynch letter sought to make our men feel mentally inferior. It led the black man to believe that he was incapable mentally of making it beyond any other stigma other than being a black, a strong, physical uh, black man. And, you know, when you think about it and you, you see all the black men, it's all about, you know, lifting weights and God knows that, that and there ain't nothing wrong with that now, okay? But I need you to have, I need for you to have some mental capacity here. That is what led me to my husband. That's what led me to knowing this man was for me was because of his intellect, his mental capacity, his strength, not in just his physical form, um, although I know he could move a house if he had to, but his mental capacity and what he had to bring to the table. I don't have a problem with stepping back. In fact, that's my preference is to step back and let him be the man of the house. Now, understand, I will state my opinion, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, my husband is the head of this house. Above him, there is no other other than God. And so that's how we run our home. And really, guys, that's how we got to get our community back to existing and believing and knowing that, you know, there is a hierarchy here that must be followed in order for us to build up generations like the people of, you know, Nelson Mandela and um, – Actually, personally, I really did like uh, – what was the, the radio host's name? His name is failing me right now. But having activists, you know, really active in today's society, we really don't have a lot of that um, that's going on right now. So this conversation is going to be going on quite a bit. I'm going to be reaching out to some people um, really to make this known and, and, and do the flip side of what the William Lynch letter said because I haven't heard anyone take it from that particular angle as of yet, and I could be wrong, but, you know, with the thought of Nelson Mandela passing today, guys, who else do we have really to guide us um, into, you know, activism? Really, think about it. You know, I had this conversation with my husband about an hour ago, and he was like, well, babe, you got to think about, you know, when Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King during their times, you know, Racism came at a different a different angle. You know, it wasn't as prevalent. I'm sorry, excuse me. It wasn't as prevalent, um, or it was more prevalent um, than it is now. And so the movement that they took is a little different than what's needed right now. So now we have, um, that's his name, Michael Bazden, 
that's um, that has tried to take on an activism movement, um, and we also have uh, Reverend L. Shafton that tries to you know do his thing as well as well as some so, some local people that I know of here in the Raleigh area that does it. But guys, we really have to get back to building up our community. With the passing of Nelson Mandela, it just really made me think: who else is going to step up and do this? You know, it's not necessarily to the point of us having to rally together and you know go black people, black power type thing. It's not necessary that we do it that way, but necessary that we have the conversations amongst ourselves with other people and make sure that we really teach our families, you know, the hierarchy that should exist so that our communities will continue to build and will stand um, years to come. Now, I'm going back to the William Lynch letter because in his letter he also talked about how he wanted to basically uh, – eliminate the black man so you think about a chocolate dark black man how he really wanted that complexion to be gone so he said that in his his quote-unquote program that he would um, have women and uh, or the black man to sleep with white women or the darker black women to sleep with white men to make the brown color people or to make the, you know, mixed breed people to break down the black community. You know, and really in reading that, when I read it before, I got upset. Like years ago when I first read William Lynch, it pissed me off is what it did. But reading it today, I had a different perspective on it. You know, my perspective today was, okay, so actually, William Lynch, what you're saying is a compliment because you're telling me my people were extremely strong to the point to where you couldn't even handle them, and you had to create a program to break people down. Um, my husband and I, we went to see 12 Years a Slave. Guys, if you haven't seen it, please go watch that movie. It's awesome. Um, the movie is really about a man that uh, basically was a free, successful man in America, black man, who was brought B-R-O-U-G-H-T, into slavery, not bought into slavery, but brought into slavery. And he um, basically had to fight to get back to freedom. It took him decades before he was able to return back to his family. Um, so what the media puts out about the brown people, um, like myself, like Vasavi, um, it's, it's not true. And everyone on the call I know knows that. But, guys, we got to get to the point of really – pulling things back together, knowing, you know, being confident that, hey, I'm dark-skinned and I love it. Hey, I'm light-skinned and I love it. There really is no difference between, you know, skin color. It's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. You have to break the mental um, bars that you have. You have to break those. You have to break those chains and really move beyond that type of thinking into the realization of, okay, okay, other people may think that in their heads, but what really matters is what you think in your own head. It does not matter. You can do anything you want to do. You can go and be whatever it is you want to you want to do. I know dark-skinned women that are doing their thing, and I bow and I salute them, and they're beautiful. I know brown paper women like myself that's doing their thing, that's successful, that's handling their business. I know light-skinned women that's beautiful, that's handling things, that's, that's successful and making moves in this world. So, guys, the whole premise of this show, Skin Deep, was to really get everyone to, you know, thinking about really, okay, and it's just ironic that Nelson Mandela passed 
tonight. But really to get everyone thinking about the family structure of the African-American community. What does that look like? Why is there so much, you know, divide there? And it really what it comes from, guys, honestly, is the William Lynch letter and what he wrote back in 1712, guys, that still exist to this day. He said 300 years later this same program will, will continue, and he even put in that letter unless – Somebody comes up with a different program to put in place. Okay, so if that was 300 years, 2012, or two years beyond that, guys, it's time to get to work. I'm going to go to break for just a second. All right, you guys sit back and enjoy. I'm glad I caught you guys when you got out the door. I'm really glad I caught you. <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes um, I don't. I don't even know. I, I was. I was. I, I got awakened um, a couple of nights ago, and um, luckily for me, can you hear me? Okay. 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 <laughs> Um, luckily for me, I had the hotel pad next to the bed, so I caught it, you know, because these things come really fast, and if you don't have a pen or a dictaphone or something, they go just as fast. So um, I caught this, and it, it's called, thank you, I, I caught this, and it's called, and I heard, okay? And it, it goes like this. Um, doom, doom. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. And I heard. You seem to have a mystery of me. I am here to broach it. I am he who resides in everything growing and glowing. I am not one to try and hide. I am here and I show it. Make no mistake, Satan is the father of life, but I'm father to him and all of them, and you are like, do you understand what you feel inside, and you are like, and you are like, do you understand what you feel inside, and you are like, and I heard. Look at your light bright. Do you know how bright you are to me? You're a homemade star in my sight. And I'm guiding you constantly moving. There is a reason for your life. You'll never understand it. It's my plan. 
just have faith in me all the time. Just have faith in me and you are like, do you understand what you feel inside? Let me guide you, let that ride you, know I'm on your side. Do you understand yeah, what you feel inside? Do you, hey, before each breath and out and in, before that I begin, let that light, light, let that light, light, no biases, no deception, no prejudice, I am the flood flowing against gravity. Clearly, I am not a fat ass. I am active brain and lip-smacking peach deep, sometimes too aggressive in its honesty, and heart sweet that loves wholly and completely whom it may choose, whomever it may choose. I am not going to lie and pacify. I am arms to hold. I am lips to speak. I am a motherfucking G. Strong legs that stroll off the 33 bus or out of a money green phantom comfortably. Knees that bend to pray, clean from Ajax washings. Hair that is thick and soft. Thighs that betwixt an amazing, all expense, grand prize. I am eyes that sing, smile that brightens, touch that rings and supplies euphoric release. I am a grand dom queen beast. I am warm, I am peace, from the roads of Botswana, from 23rd Street, from the inside, third eye, ever watching this wicked, wicked system of things I do see. I am friend to pen, and a lover of strong women, a diamond to men. I am curious and interested like children. I welcome the wise to teach, appreciator of my culture, thick, not just from bone dense and eat. I have a rhythm in my ways and a practice in my seek. And yes, I do crave the rhythm of my space with a man that rejoices in God's grace. With faith, I do hear to listen to hands that fist when force pushes to shove and your ego won't submit. I am gifted. I am all of this. And indeed, the shit. Clearly, I am not just an ass. You've just heard Jill Scott, <laughs> Woman Manifesto, as well as And I Heard. I love those um, songs and the poem that she wrote, and I just wanted to share that with you guys um, to inspire you to know 
that no matter what complexion you are, like she said, you are the beep. I won't say that word. But seriously, guys, you are. Be confident in who you are. I know um, I got a couple of people on here that's that's my chocolate sisters. One of them I like to call chocolate uh, Betty Crocker. She's beautiful, and sometimes I think she don't even know it. But I've told her that. I don't know if she believes me when I say that, but I really do believe that and um, just see the beauty in her, in her spirit, in her walk, the way she talks, you know, when she, and, and just walking in a room, you, you command attention. And, guys, it doesn't, your skin color really doesn't matter. What matters is the aura and the spirit that, that lies within you. Um, I have really, really, really enjoyed coming on. We're going to talk about this again probably uh, during the uh, Black History Month. So we're going to go a little bit deeper um, into this. And I, I really am excited to, you know, even put all of this together and have something interesting, a different perspective um, to bring to everyone um, during the month of February. So it's been a pleasure speaking with you all. Thank you all, all for joining tonight. If you don't take anything from this call, no, the pain stops today. Yes, did you think I was going to forget that? Absolutely not. So get your copy. If you haven't, go to Amazon.com, type in my name, Veronda Bellamy, and the book will appear. Download your copy right there. And um, go ahead and you make sure you tell your mom and them about this book. Okay, y'all, be fabulous. Veranda Bellamy inspired. Have a great one.
Hey, hey, hey. 